Well, good afternoon and welcome to Free to be Faithful. Free to be Faithful is a religious liberty education awareness program that was created by the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. This in response to increasing governmental incursions into religious life. People of faith and our institutions have come under increasing attack in recent years from secular sources. The eight years of the previous administration in Washington were especially trying for people of faith. That administration took an active role in such things as redefining what constitutes marriage and forcing Catholic nuns to purchase birth control. Well, since the last election, a new administration has taken over, one that pledged to defend religious liberty against recent trends. Now, how has that administration kept its promises? Has it kept its promises? Well, I'm going to be speaking with First Liberty Institute Council Stephanie Taub on this topic on today's Free to be Faithful. We're having a little difficulty getting Ms. Taub on the line, uh, but it's going to be worth the wait. She's quite a remarkable woman. Uh, she graduated summa cum laude from the University of Southern California, majoring in business administration with a minor in philosophy. And she also attended Harvard Law School, where she got her law degree. She was a Blackstone Fellow in the class of 2012. And during law school, she served as co-president of the HLS Christian Fellowship and manager of the technical editor of the Harvard Human Rights Journal. Quite a remarkable criteria there. Now, she is with the First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is an intriguing outfit. They are one of the one of the prime uh, religious freedom legal organizations that takes the case of religious freedom and will and will take the cause, whether it's a, uh, a case of a uh, football coach at a high school who was fired because he, he stood in silent prayer at the 50-yard uh, line after a uh, football game. Or others. I mean, we've even had cases of uh, a fire uh, commissioner who was fired down at Atlanta because he had published on his own time a book as a Christian stating his beliefs that marriage is between a man and a woman as mandated by the Bible. But as we said, over the past eight years, we've had some, some problems. We've seen Obergefell decision, which threw out the, uh, the traditional view of what constitutes marriage. And we also had some other other items as well. Uh, we saw, in addition to that, we saw, uh, well, for example, we're, we're, we're running into the case right now of the, we're running into right now into the case of the, uh, where there's a baker who refused to uh, bake a cake for a gay marriage because it went against his faith. And this has gone all the way up to the Supreme Court. Now, many groups have joined in that support of that, and one of them, of course, have been First Liberty as well as others. Now, First Liberty has just recently issued a report and on the what's happened to us in the last year since the uh, Trump administration has taken over. What is different from the Trump administration as opposed to what's been happening to the prior years under the Obama administration? Okay, we do have Ms. Taub on the line. Welcome to the program. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you very much for this thing. We've got a lot to talk about here and to explain. I was just explaining to the audience that we have been we by the religious community is what i mean have seen our liberties erode and felt like we were under attack for the prior eight years of the previous administration now president trump had promised to make uh, things different has he well kelly uh shackleford who is the uh who is with your organization, has actually outlined five specific areas where he thinks that he has. I was wanted to get your take on it. For example, 
one thing he did, one thing he pointed out were judicial appointments. How important is this to us? That's right. Uh, so his article came out in the National Review not too long ago, and it really demonstrates uh, the refreshing change that had this administration has been for religious liberty. So judicial appointments especially, so we have Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch and other fantastic appointments like Jim Ho, who has been a volunteer attorney with First Liberty Institute in the past. And so these these judges are really are going to be the ones that are deciding the religious liberty cases and all the cases um, for for the foreseeable future. And so it's going to make a huge impact um, on the ground. I think it will. Uh, we certainly have got a number of very vital issues before the Supreme Court right now that have been heard, uh, one of which is, of course, the case of Masterpiece Cake Shop, which I alluded to earlier, where uh, Jack Phillips, the... Uh, the owner of, of Masterpiece, a devout Christian, has said that he cannot make a special wedding cake celebrating gay marriage. And he has been sued. He's been up before the Supreme Court now. Another case that's perhaps even more important is a case out in California where we have uh, pro-life pregnancy centers that are being ordered to advertise for abortion. So that's right. going to be a huge one. Right. Um, so these are these are incredibly important cases, and we'll probably expect rulings on them in June. Um, so yeah, we're gonna. And we've seen the Department of Justice and this administration filed a really favorable brief in the Masterpiece Cake Shop case. Um, so that's that's another that's another. Um, support that this administration has given to religious liberty. Yeah, that was something I saw that I thought was especially hopeful. It's that the the government itself, the federal government itself, actually went before the Supreme Court and said, we support this man's view. He should be free to refuse this. That's right. And it really uh, it really makes sense if you think about it, because they're, they're focusing on your free speech right and your right not to be compelled to to support a message that you disagree with. And this has been a foundation of First Amendment law for years. And so um, the D Department of Justice is merely saying no matter no matter um, what side you're on, no matter who you are, no matter what you believe about these sorts of controversial issues, you have a right to your own opinion and not to have the government force you to say a message against that opinion. And interestingly, and I think uh, this reinforces the perception, at least, that Christianity and uh, people of faith are actually under attack, was Jack Phillips' uh, case was held initially before the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, I believe it's called. And ironically, they had also heard three other cases where gay bakers had refused to make cakes, uh, wedding cakes, that expressed a biblical concept that marriage is between a man and a woman. And the commission had ruled that they were entirely within their rights to refuse to do that. So I think we're seeing a double standard. That's right. Um, the commission ruled that uh, the bakeries could decline to make those cakes because they found them offensive, uh, which is a very, very interesting type of rationale because they didn't, they didn't believe that rationale when it came to, um, when it came to Jack Phillips. So, so this, we're eagerly looking forward to what the Supreme Court's going to do with this masterpiece case. Yeah, that case has already been heard before the court, and of course, we're waiting for the California case. I don't believe that one's been heard yet, but ruling should come out sometime in June. Then we we wait with bated breath over that one. That's right. Another thing that uh, Mr. Shackelford pointed out is that President Trump has used the executive order ability of his office to actually expand and define some religious liberties. And he's given specific orders to the Attorney General. Uh, what are some of the examples that he has done with his executive order? 
That's right. So the attorney general or the executive order, it it ordered the attorney general to take a look at um, especially the conscience cases involving um, involving the Department of Health and Human Services. So um, the past administration had been going after nuns, trying to get them to be complicit in providing contraceptive drugs and imported patient drugs. Um, but here we have um, this executive order uh, ordered the, uh, the Department of Health and Human Services to take another look at this. Um, and so shortly after that executive order, we saw uh, the department settled all of these cases, stop enforcing them against religious organizations, and actually um, came out with a new interim final rule that protected uh, religious organizations from being forced to be complicit in this sort of activity. Well, you jumped right ahead to the next point I was going to raise, where uh, he has indeed uh, relieved a lot of regulatory burdens now on religious conscience. Now, as you said, HHS has announced a new policy that will allow uh, religious ministries and plaintiffs whose beliefs have been attacked then found relief. These cases were too quickly concluded under the old uh, under the old administration. Uh, also, what he's done is that he has, the HHS has taken a, a step now uh, to create an entire division that is actually dedicated to protecting conscience and, relig- and religious freedoms. Over 20 laws to protect religious freedom were being ignored by the private prior administration. Now, they're supposed to be followed. Well, we can certainly hope that that's going to happen. We just have to wait and see, because I know that uh, the case, for example, with the nuns has been, uh, the HHS situation has been challenged a number of times, even in view of the president's action. Right. They're, they're currently still fighting in courts um, um, to make sure that the that the new interim final rule is actually upheld. So those those actions are still ongoing. But but as you mentioned, this, this new conscience rule is really an encouraging step because it really makes sure that doctors and nurses uh, do not have to participate in abortions, mm. sterilizations, and euthanasia if it goes against their religious or ethical beliefs. Uh, so these are these are rules that have been passed by Congress, um, many of them decades ago, um, but they haven't always been enforced. So this is why it's really important for this administration to actually uh, provide these specific mechanisms for making sure that people um, are not discriminated against if they don't want to perform abortions. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And that is a very, very serious issue. There have been instances where doctors and nurses have actually been fired, have lost their jobs because they refuse to kill babies. That's right. Um, and we see and we've seen nursing programs that have um, made applicants sign something saying that they would uh, participate in abortions. Um, if they if they join that program, and that's against the law. So um, this is why it's so important for this administration to um, to actually step up here. And then you've also got um, cases that said that it's difficult for people to bring lawsuits to enforce their rights themselves. So it really is up to the administration to enforce these rights. Absolutely. And another thing that he put out that's of special concern, I think, to the Missouri Senate here is that uh, he has ordered the Federal Emergency Management Agency to reinstate 
allowing houses of worship and religious organizations to uh, be eligible for such things as disaster relief. Now, this is very important to us because we are very, very active in disaster relief. For example, in uh, the last hurricane down in uh, Florida and in Texas and even in, uh, in Puerto Rico, all of our congregations down there are among the first responders. We open our churches to uh, to uh, people who are seeking refuge. We work directly with FEMA, allowing them to use our facilities for uh, warehouses to be used as staging areas. We uh, have communication networks set up where we can get relief out. We have the bodies. We have the people down there that are actually working directly with relief. And yet, under the prior administration, they weren't able to get their own properties uh, repaired. Yeah, that's right. Faith-based organizations are responsible for so much of the charitable work in the United States, and especially disaster relief. So it, it's great that here um, now they're eligible in the same way that everyone else is uh, for for um, the same sort of the same sort of relief. Um, so it, it makes perfect sense if the, if your um, if your church or your synagogue or your mosque is is burning down, for example, the fire department's going to help you. So in the same way, um, if if you if your place of worship has been affected by a national natural disaster, it should be eligible for um, for relief in the same way that other similar organizations are. And uh, prior to the uh, change in the, in the regulations there, FEMA had, interestingly enough, had stated publicly that 80% of all relief efforts that went to the hurricane relief passed at one point or another through houses of worship for distribution to the victims. Wow, that's an incredible statistic. It really is. And as I said, this is something that has been very important to us as we are heavily involved in disaster relief, all, actually all around the world. But, you know, when those hurricanes hit, our places were hit as well. We had churches and we had schools that were under feet to underwater. Uh, buildings were destroyed, but still we did whatever we could to help those people. And now finally, finally, for whatever reason, the uh, FEMA said that, no, 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 you're a house of worship. You're not eligible. Finally, that has been reversed. Yes, thankfully. And thank you so much for all of your great work. Well, well we have uh, the orders from on high, you might say. <laughs> so, <laughs> another thing that's being done here is uh, the, the president has set in motion with the Department of uh, Justice some several things to defend religious liberty. Uh, defending the uh, parsonage uh, exemption, for example. A lot of churches really don't are not able to pay their their pastors all that much so what'll happen is that they'll get a housing allowance and that housing allowance traditionally has been tax exempt now that's been attacked but now uh this is being defended we hope by the administration uh this will be going forth we also know for example the washington metro area transit authority refused to carry any kind of religious message over the holiday season and now that has been also attacked, uh, at least by the administration has come in and said, you know, this is not right. Let's think about this again. These are things that are very, very important to us. The idea being that we have been under attack under a very hostile administration for many years. At least that's a perception from this point. Yeah, that, I mean, if you look at the, the Metro case, it's a really interesting fact situation. They tried to separate Christmas into two Parts. They tried to separate it into religious Christmas and secular Christmas, with secular Christmas being okay and religious Christmas not being okay. So the advertisement at issue was um, 
an advertisement that said, find the perfect gift, and it showed the three wise men, and it advertised for a church. Um, but if you had find the perfect gift and it said Macy's or Nordstrom or something like that, then it would have been permissible. So it's, it's, it really seems like viewpoint discrimination there. It really is, and that's, that's a very important thing for us. There are a number of things that are coming up now as well that we still don't know yet how the administration is going to react. Uh, one problem we had, in fact, President Trump even commented on this during the campaign, uh, was the case of Coach Joe Kennedy. He's a football coach, and what he used to do was, after a football game, he would say a silent prayer on the uh, 50-yard line. He would, he would kneel and pray thanking God. It took about 20, 30 seconds. And guess what? He got fired <laughs> because he was told, he, how dare he pray? The idea being that as a, uh, as a, uh, a school employee, for him to openly pray somewhere where he can be seen, even though he was not mandating his students or his, or his team to join him, it somehow constituted state endorsement of a particular religion. Now, we know that that case is going to be appealed to the uh, Supreme Court. We don't know yet if it's uh, been, uh, been accepted, I believe. But again, we can hope that the president will speak out. We don't know yet, but it's a, an area of hopefulness. That's right. So, uh, First Liberty Institute is, is representing Coach Kennedy, and so we're going to be taking his case to the Supreme Court pretty soon. Um, it's, it's very important for this court to recognize um, that you can have some signs of religion in the public sphere, and it's, there's no coercion here, there's nothing like that. So in the same way that a Jewish coach should be allowed to wear a yarmulke, mm. um, uh, Coach Kennedy should be allowed to kneel for a 20-second prayer. Um, it's, it's as simple as that. Well, for example, uh, even with the students, I mean, a, a Muslim student can wear a, a hijab, a Jewish student can wear the yarmulke, Christian student should be able to wear a crucifix. But again, even these things are under attack. Yeah, you see, you see all sorts of um, all sorts of attacks from people that misunderstand what the First Amendment requires. So, one of the more egregious, egregious attacks that we see is attacks on veterans memorials. Ah. So, we have um, we have uh, cases that we're representing where there are uh, memorials in the shape of a cross that um, are dedicated to. Uh, people who gave their lives in World War One. So these memorials are almost 100 years old, but you have some some atheist groups that don't like that it's shaped like a cross, and so they don't care that this is dedicating, uh, this is dedicated to people that gave their lives for our country, um, and it's now part of history. Um, and, I, and so we're having to defend against against cases like that. And also the, the, the symbol of a cross or something like that has always been interpreted as a sign of honor for the dead. It's not necessarily right. Christian. It simply says, yes, this is where our people died. This is where they lie. And it's a very common symbol, for, especially for World War One in particular. So um, so you, have, you really have to look at these cases with, with all the facts in mind. Um, but so often courts don't. So this is why we need good judges that are going to, um, going to uphold the law and, and uh, more in line with what the founders wanted than... Uh, than what the some of these atheist groups are, are pushing for these days. Well, one of the very basic philosophical differences, I, be, I think, between the past and current administration uh, is the definition of religious freedom. Uh, the prior administration seemed to concentrate on what was called religious uh, freedom of worship as opposed to freedom of religion. Can you define what the difference is between them? 
Yeah, so it's it's a subtle difference. And some people have taken religious worship to mean what happens inside the confines of your home or inside the confines of your house of worship, um, not necessarily um, your religious beliefs as you take them out into the public into the public square. So religious, when you're talking about the right of the right to exercise your religion, it's really talking about your right to exercise it no matter where you are. So this is a part of your identity, whether you are in your place of worship in your home or out in, in public life. And also the the uh, concept, I think, of the, the free exercise clause. I mean, this is the idea of freedom of worship, I think, was in direct contradiction of free exercise. Uh, we as Christians, especially here with the Lutheran Church, we have to live our faith outside of the church, outside of the home. It's part of who and what we are. Right. And freedom of worship is important. You have the right to worship um, as you please, but it definitely shouldn't be the, the, the extent of, of the free exercise clause, because the, the free exercise clause protects all sorts of exercise of your religion. So that's, that's really what's important here. And so we have seen in speeches and things like that, um, some, some people on the left have tried to narrow it to, to religious worship only. So that's, um, that is something that we've seen. Well, one court case we we uh, won recently, which is very important to us because it involved one of our facilities, uh, was the Trinity Lutheran case, where uh, they had applied for a state grant here in Missouri to rubberize the uh, the ground of a playground that was open to the public, but it was from a, a preschool that's owned by one of our congregations. And the Missouri Department of Natural Resources, which ran the programs, said even though you are eminently qualified. We're going to disqualify you solely because this playground is owned by a religious organization. Now, the Supreme Court came out and ruled that this was not to be, that indeed they should be allowed. And the idea, the basic concept, as my understanding was, is that the state, whether it's federal or state or local, must be neutral toward religion but cannot be hostile toward religion. Yes, that's right. So that's actually a seven to two decision, uh, which is um, which is great. So we have um, seven justices on the Supreme Court recognizing that this is pretty textbook religious discrimination when a state puts out this public benefit program and says you would apply, you should get this money, but we're not going to give it to you because you're religious. That's just plain <laughs> religious discrimination. There's really no other way to look at it. Um, and so, uh, so here, it, when you when you have a public benefit like fire department services, like making sure that kids' playgrounds are safe, uh, it, you have to you can't discriminate solely because this is a religious organization. I, I don't see how on earth a, a playground can be con- can be construed as promoting religion. <laughs> it's, it's promoting yeah. child safety and 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 quality of life, right. but it was attacked for that purpose. It said, "Oh well, you know." Yeah, you know, you're a religious group, therefore you are promoting religion. Right, and there might be some more cases to decide whether, um, so it's unclear whether we'd also have seven justices when, when we're talking about um, things that are more directly related to religion rather than playgrounds. Um, so that'll be the next. Uh, yeah, that's going to be the big one. Yeah, that's going to be a big one coming up. And uh, mm-hmm. one of the things I wonder about is with the Trinity case, for example, even though it was a 7-2 ruling, it was actually a very narrow ruling. Right. Saying in this specific case, because it did not actually uh, address proselytizing, 
therefore this is allowed, and that the state had actually been hostile to them rather than neutral. Now, the case that we're the cases that we're looking at now, whether it's Nifflin, California, or whether it's Masterpiece Cake Shop, now we've got a whole other uh, a whole other story out there. Uh, these are going to be broad ranging, um, and looking at the Supreme Court in the past, it seems to me that when they do fairly narrow uh, judgments sometimes. By, by narrow, I mean uh, like, a, like a five to four ruling as opposed to a seven to two. They sometimes actually do a little bit more of a broader ruling. And I'm thinking specifically of Obergefell in this, where they overturned uh, the definition of marriage that had lasted for thousands of years. So <laughs> it's going to be very, very interesting to see what's happening here. What do you see with specifically with the uh, case of Masterpiece or Nifla out in California? What do you see as being the prime issues here that the Supreme Court must decide? Well, if you look at the Masterpiece case, the prime issue is freedom of speech. So there is a freedom of exercise, freedom of religious exercise issue there. But most uh, most people believe it's going to turn on the free speech clause. And we know that Justice Kennedy is the swing vote here, and we've seen him be very protective of free speech in the past. So, uh, so that's the question: is is what his free speech doctrine is going to be for for this masterpiece case? And especially out in California, that's even I think a little bit deeper because it's not just free speech; there is compelled speech, especially compelled speech that violates the very premise of those organizations you know a a pro-life pregnancy crisis center is established specifically as an alternate to abortion and yet the state says that they must advertise for abortion clinics free of charge they got to post all these informations even though the state is more than free to get a billboard pass out pamphlets uh report them in the newspaper things like that but they are trying to compel speech that they know that people are immorally opposed to yeah, that's right. Um, so, but apparently that's that's not enough. You need to have pro-life centers uh, actively promoting free and subsidized abortions. Um, so it's it, it is pretty extreme what, what we're seeing. So we do have free speech rights at issue in in both of these cases. You're right. What is the difference between free speech and compelled speech? So compelled speech is a subsection of uh, of free speech clause protections uh, generally means the government can't compel you to, to say a particular thing against your belief. Um, so uh, we have the landmark case of West Virginia v. Barnett. Um, always look to for, for compelled speech. You have a Jehovah's Witness student who didn't want to say the Pledge of Allegiance um, or um, uh, salute the flag because that went against their religion. Um, they thought that that was a form of idolatry. And uh, that went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court said, you have a right not to say that if it goes against your beliefs. And this was at a time when the Pledge of Allegiance was very important for nat- natural, um, national unity. You know, that, that's very intriguing to me that uh, we have, we've already got a ruling from the Supreme Court that speech can't be compelled, and it's specifically addressed to religious group, but also, you know, the the pledge involves under God. And yet suddenly these people are saying, uh, well, we can compel you to say, even though you think abortion is murder, you have to advertise for it. You have to show that where people can do this. Right. And there are are other cases as well. Another one involved um, a license plate. 
that had a speech that a person disagreed with. And the Supreme Court held that you didn't have to display that license plate, um, the state's motto on your license plate, if it goes against your beliefs. Um, oh, I remember that one. That was the New Hampshire case, I believe, and the, the, uh, the slogan was live free or die. Yeah, that's right. Um, so that one, it seems, is even more of a of a difficult decision than, than a lot of these compelled speech cases. Um, so so this, this rule against being forced to say the government's message or the government's preferred message is, is really longstanding. It's been around for decades. Well, I spoke with the National Review's David French uh, a few weeks ago on this very issue, and he says that the, uh, he, he said the opinion that this case, the Netflix case, is actually much more far-reaching than the Masterpiece case uh, case is. Do you share that view? So his opinion that it's a, it's a closer call on whether the court's going to what the court's going to do on that. Um, I it's it's possible. Uh, it, I guess it depends on how the opinion is written. Um, so I'm not sure. I could see either one having having broad implications. Well, for, I- well, let's examine that a little bit, the difference between the broad and the narrow. What what are the options facing the court here? So I guess the court could decide to limit it solely to bakeries or solely to wedding industry cases. Um, or they could write it in a broad way that protects speech generally for all artists or all speakers, um, for the Masterpiece case, for example. And then a similar thing for um, for the... Uh, pro-life ones. They could limit it to pro-life pregnancy centers and things like that, or they could write it in a way that would apply to any sort of uh, disclosure that is required by an administrative agency or by a state government. Um, that would be that would be very broad if, if, if that's the way it was written. Well, we're certainly going to be facing some interesting times ahead, and as I said, you know, June is going to be when the Supreme Court will actually be issuing these rulings. So we'll see what goes on here. Uh, Ms. Tom, I want to thank you so much for joining the program and for explaining these issues, and I also want to thank you personally and First Liberty for the wonderful work that you're doing to advance the faith. It's something that we really desperately need. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Free to be Faithful, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for listening and supporting Free to be Faithful on Worldwide KFUO.